everybody, welcome back to the next cast. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Tyler. And I'm Josh. Yeah, that's Josh. He's the new guy. Uh, so, this is the Linux cast. We talk about Linuxy things. Welcome, if you're watching live. We do record this live every Friday around 3 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, or late, as you know, usual. But it happens. So, if you want to join us live, check us out at the Linux cast on YouTube. You can also find us all over the place, obviously. But I just want to let you know if you are watching this afterwards, we do put timestamps in the video description and in the comments of the video on YouTube and on Odyssey. That way you can skip the pre-show if you want to, because we do BS for, well, it was about 15 minutes this time. So if you want to bypass that stuff, timestamps do show up eventually after the stream is done. So just catching that out. So uh, we always start off the show asking what we've done this week in open source. So Tyler, what have you been doing this week in open source? Well, um, it's kind of, twofold um not only have i been doing something in open source um i've also been playing with something open source um so i've got the steam deck and this device is the fucking best um if you don't already have a reservation for a steam deck fix it now um this thing is like all right for the base model $400 $400 device, you can't get anything better. You just can't. It, it's it got, it's a full computer, so you can do anything on it, like, period. It's got the nice KDE desktop, which I'm not a massive fan of KDE, but I gotta be honest, the KDE on here, it's stable. It actually works as intended. It, so far, I haven't had any, like, user usability issues or KDE fucking up, doing anything weird. Um, and the performance of the device is incredible. Um, I've locked it to 40 FPS um, frame rate limit or FPS limit. And then the refresh rate, I've also locked it to 40 FPS and um, I can play doom at ultra settings, completely maxed out for like two and a half hours on the device. Um, I've also, when it goes to sleep, I've loaded up. um, So I've been developing a game um, that I'm going to start talking about on my channel here soon, but I've, just kept my head down working on it so I can have something like really good to show off when I do first show it off. But I've been taking test builds and putting them on here and testing them. And when you are playing a game, you can just put the device in a sleep mode and set it down. And like the battery just doesn't drain. Like it, it just doesn't. I've, I've kept doom alien isolation. Um, my test builds open on it, um, for, like uh, one of my test builds, I kept open and running on it and then like slept, put it into sleep mode. And uh, the next day after like 12 to like 14 hours, I picked it back up and turned it on and like the battery hadn't even moved. Like it was, it, it's a fantastic device. And then I've been making a game in unity and that's why I'm in still in windows. The game, game engines just are bug happy on Linux. All of them are, but um, that's something that hopefully we'll talk about in a later podcast because I've had issues with that and I would like game engines to start working on Linux, but yeah, that that's what nice. I've been up to in Linux. Uh, I let my steam deck reservation pass me by, which is, we all make mistakes, man. It, it, it's, it's okay. We all make mistakes. I'm not, a, I'm just, I'm not a gamer. Like, you know, this about me. I'm not a gamer. Like right now I can't get the only game that I really like to play on Fedora, and 
I'm fine with it. Like, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I'm just like, whatever. Like, like, normally when something doesn't work, I, I distro off, right? Yeah. If I can't solve the problem, this time I, I don't care. You, um, you do have a decent point, but let me just go ahead and say this. Even if you're not a gamer, you can buy one of these for 15 to 30 bucks. Pop it in there, and then you just plug this up in here, and you've got USB ports, HDMI out, everything. And so um, I I've, have a computer for this. Why uh, do I need another one? <laughs> but but it matter is. Fact, matter, matter of fact, I have two computers for this. I have this one, and I have that one. And okay, I do have you have a, a gaming laptop? No, but I don't need one. Okay, I'll well, see that. I, again, I return to the fact that I'm not a gamer. So yeah, anyway, but then. but gaming laptops have horsepower, so you can like edit videos and stuff like that on the go, and that's the main thing. Like why I have that dock and everything with this is because of that. I've actually been using Caden Live and um, Blender on the go, mainly Blender because I haven't been posting videos or doing anything. I've just been game developing, so I've been using Blender on the device on the go. Which is fucking awesome. That's it's really cool. That's exactly what I want to do is hop into Caden Live while I'm at the coffee shop. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Good, be point. Great. Good point. All right. Josh, what have you been doing this week in open uh, I've been doing something super spicy here. Because, you know, uh, I, I recently gave a certain company about a thousand of, thousand of my dollars uh, to buy multiple devices, all of which still have not arrived yet. But you see, I went off and I bought this super unbranded laptop here. Uh, there's not a single brand except for, like, this one sticker. Uh, it's a pine book. And, you know, we got a curled parrot.live, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I also got, like, uh, this pine phone, of which it's using an awful lot of CPU right now, doing a whole lot of nothing. All right, so... Uh, and then... Have you compiled Gen 2 on your pine phone yet? No, but this phone actually... Well, actually, I, I this is a pine phone 1... And it is running Gen 2 right now. Of course it is. Of course it is. Of course it is. This is literally the last Gen 2 device in my entire fleet. Really? Yes. Interesting. Okay. Yes. Uh, this Pinebook is still running Manharo Arm because you know it works. Manharo. <laughs> yeah. It it works. Uh, and uh, honestly, like I haven't done too much with it. Uh, which you know uh. If you guys want to know, like, an interesting thing for productivity, this book operated Honda yesterday. Ooh. Moved $10 million of product with just the, with just a fine book. Because all I need is just Microsoft, or is, well, not even Microsoft Excel. I just need to open up an Excel spreadsheet and be able to read it. <laughs> so, here, here's my question. Every time I've just thought about going to buy a Pinebook Pro, there's always that warning about warning might have dead pixels. Does yours have dead, pixel, dead pixels? No. Hmm. I always look one of those to kind of want to like, buy one, but we'll see. I I saw like uh you mentioned it. The first thing I did on Pinebook because I opened up Firefox and it just opened up like a blank white test page and I full screened it and I didn't see a single dead pixel. Hmm. Oh, good. I mean, maybe that was an issue with like the first first release run. Uh, my my second release run, like uh, they didn't assemble it quite correctly, so I had to tear it apart and fix it. Hmm. <laughs> Which uh you know uh I. Uh, I have this super long blog post that I'm going to be posting about, like uh, my adventures with with the Pine Book. Mm-hmm. So uh, keep you keep tuned for that. Uh, I think Matt, you might have like my contact link in like the description or like in the show notes somewhere at some point. 
Yeah, there it's in the description and in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, it's tenleejcom slash stalker. <laughs> so <laughs> that's how you guys can get a hold of me. Because, <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, what we are going to be doing is after like I get get all the devices in in, I'm actually going to be daily driving Pine 64 devices for the next 30 days. And that's and, uh, all you're going to be using. That's all I'm going to be using. I like all it. right. I, like I it. already have the phone activated. <laughs> I'm, ad- I'm adding the Pinebook Pro to my lo- to my cart right now. I'm going to buy it after the show. All right. There you go. Okay. All right. Uh, it, it might take a little while for the sh- for for them to process the order and get it shipped to you because uh, it does ship directly from China. Oh, that doesn't surprise what, me. What yeah. doesn't these days? Yeah. Well. That's it, true, it, but it, it, it took I, me like three months to get my keyboard. So yeah, I, I I waited for like almost a year to get my Steam just, Deck. Just just wanted really just wanted to lay that out there because if you've only ever bought things off of Amazon and you get it in two days, uh, this is yeah. coming from China. It might take a while. Yeah. <laughs> That's why dropshipping yeah, uh, is just dead nowadays because everyone's like, give it to me now. But, yeah, uh, the the touchpad does not seem to be super sensitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does. It does work and function, but, like, uh, you can't, like, grab a border of a window and drag it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that's something that's something I want to see if, like, uh, maybe I can work out or maybe I can, because the uh, touchpad is replaceable, to see if maybe there's, like, an upgraded one that might work. Oh, that would be cool. That would be really yeah, cool. Yeah, because uh, you can tear, I can just take this uh, backplate off and every, and you can just, there's physical wires going to everything, so every. The entire thing is swappable. Okay. Yeah. Sounds Even really the cool. uh, EMMC module is swappable, which <laughs> That's I unusual. thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. What about you, Matt? What you been up to? The same stuff I always am up to, really. So I've been working on my uh, racing script. I've talked about this like every week for like the last... I don't know, two months. It's nuts. It's like everyone who listens to this podcast probably thinks that that's all I ever do with Linux, but it's the most interesting thing that I do outside of just work. You know, if, if I just said, well, yeah, I edited 100,000 words this week. That's all I did. That would be boring. Um, but interesting what I've been doing this time is that I did a review or a, like a first look of Archcraft. And the thing that sets Archcraft apart from everybody else is that they have gone and done all of these themes for Openbox and BSPWM. I'm taking all of those themes and tweaking them so that they'll, they'll work on i3 and then adding them to my uh, script. So it's been – like I've got two done so far, and it's not the easiest thing because they do not – they have not standardized the way they did their, their uh, polybar – configuration some of they they've used include files for every single one of them but each of their include files are named something different and have different things in them so some of them they have this, the bars separated for some reason some of them they don't it's a mess uh, but that's that's been kind of fun the other thing that i've been working on is um so i'm a bit of a hard drive person like like i have a ton of hard drives i've uh, I, I have six or seven in the computer itself, and then I have external hard drives all over the damn place. And the drive that I have in my computer that I store all of my old videos and stuff on is only two terabytes, and it was getting full. So I decided instead of buying a Steam Deck that I would invest in something bigger because it seemed like a better investment to me at the time. And uh, so I did some research, and I was you know, I asked on Twitter and Mastodon where I should go in terms of getting a NAS. At the end of the day, I decided not to do the NAS thing, not quite yet, mainly because pretty much everyone 
in the Linux community, so you should build your, yourself. So I'm probably going to do that eventually. So what I ended up doing is just getting a 20 terabyte Seagate drive this time for an external drive. And uh, I have to say, I've had it for a couple days. Like the the thing is, Tyler, you and I have talked about this before. Those Western Digital external hard drives, those things are loud, and they mm-hmm. always make you think that they're a, a half a millimeter away from failing and exploding and spewing parts all over the room, right? Because mm-hmm. they're, I mean, just it makes horrendous noises. Uh, the Seagate that I just got. It is as the most silent piece of hardware tech that I've ever seen outside of an SSD. And it's not an SSD. It's yep. it's nuts. It doesn't make any sound at all. Almost makes you think it's not working, but it is. <laughs> like it's working <laughs> fine. <laughs> it really it was really weird. It was also expensive as hell, but what are you going to do? Yeah. Everything's expensive. Well, I guess you get what you pay for. Cuz when you get them I've, cheaper western digitals like I've got a collection of old AT hard drives. Uh, you want to talk about some loud hard drives? I got some. Oh, Fresh out of 1997. <laughs> well, that's that's kind of the point is that the, this Western Digital is not old. Like it's mm-hmm. it's like a year and a half old, and it is the day ga- the day came here, it was loud and sounded like it was failing. Yeah, it's nuts. My, um, my 14 terabyte from day one sounded like it was like scraping on something. Like it it sounds terrible it unless i put so much padding around it that like there's no way that vibrations could leave anything like essentially if i velcro tape it around and give it like a whole bunch of velcro all around it then there's a chance that i won't really hear it but it's still making a terrible noise does yours move the desk um, I'm pretty sure if I didn't, like, I've got a lot of rubber mounts around it. I'm pretty sure if I didn't have that, yes, my entire day, their um, table would shake. Like, like my, mine doesn't move the desk, but if you put your hand, if I put my hand on this oak desk, like, this oak desk weighs probably a thousand pounds. It's nuts. If I put my hand on the, the t- tabletop and that was doing something, I could feel the vibrations moving the desk. That's how horrible that Western Digital is. It's really weird. Anyways, that's what I basically what I've been doing. Um, Just buying hard drives. Yeah. Buying hard drives and and ricing. Like apparently I've gained a reputation for like literally ricing, and that's all I do. Uh, It is it is like sixty percent of your YouTube videos just you ricing something. I know. It's not a bad. It's look. It's not a bad (laughs) reputation to have. Ricing's fun. I, I have way too much fun with it. Anyways, yeah, so uh, let's go ahead and move into the contact information. So if you want to get in contact with us, you can do so in any, in any number of ways. The best way to do so is go to the website, linuxcast.org slash contact. All of our links will be there except for Josh's. His stuff is not there. You'll have to find that in the video description. Uh, but anyways, most of that stuff is there. Uh, Twitter, Mastodon. Uh, the store link is there. The Amazon wish list is there. Just tons of links and stuff. Any way you want to get in contact with us, it's all there. Uh, if you don't, if you're lazy like me and would rather just know how to get in contact with us, email is probably the e- easiest way. Email at linuxcast.org is the email address. You can uh, find Tyler, who goes by Zany online at youtube.com slash zanyog. He hasn't posted a video in like a week and a half. I'm just saying this. Like mm-hmm. he, he he's obviously given up on YouTube. I don't know. And apparently mm-hmm. he's a Windows fanboy now and is just really scared of his audience. Uh, just gonna yep. put that out there. I'm, I'm assuming that that's the reason why he hasn't made a video. Um, <laughs> anyway, and he he has promised us an attempt to stream mm-hmm. on the stream the Steam Deck. He's he's mm-hmm. promised an, an attempt. 
I'm waiting for that video because that's gonna be that's gonna be highly entertaining. I'm expecting him to set his house on fire. Um, I actually have to go back and look to see the last time I posted a video, not a live stream. Oh, I can tell you on your channel, it's been a long time. <laughs> it really has been a while. Yeah. Uh, two months ago, <laughs> the NixOS video. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Josh's website is is in the video description as well. That's ten uh, l e e j dot com slash stalker. I'm sure you have a way of saying that, right? Um, uh, ten liege. It is it is the year I graduated high school with my last name and the first letter of my first name. I didn't even come up with it. <laughs> Okay, very very creative. Anyways, you can, also, creative. you can also subscribe to the LinuxCast at YouTube.com slash LinuxCast. Make sure you do. We're getting like a 1,000 away from 20,000 subscribers, which is just bonkers. Like it's absolutely insane. Never expected to get there. So if you have subscribed, thank you so very much. If you haven't, what the hell are you waiting for? This is this is excellent content, and I'll fight anyone who says otherwise. Um, anyways, so every single week, Tyler and I, in this week, we, we – got josh and on the fun where we scour the interwebs for the most latest breaking hard-hitting news that you'll never see on cnn and mm-hmm. probably for good reason so josh you're gonna get to go first this week what is your news of the week well you see my news for the week would not show up on cnn because cnn doesn't even talk about open susa uh, so i again so probably for good reason <laughs> yeah Two weeks ago, OpenSUSE published a release candidate for the future of OpenSUSE Leap, which uh, they are which they are sunsetting in 2024 for this new operating system called MicroOS, of which they they have now po- published the first release candidate for the MicroOS desktop image. Uh, the default image uses GNOME, but you can build it from the ground up just just like Arch Linux. And uh, what it does is is it's is this a distribution much like uh, Fedora Silverblue, except that it, you know it's like an actual rolling release, and you know it actually lets you mess around with the root file system. Cool. cool. Uh, how is okay? So how is it immutable compared to something like the Steam Deck or uh, Silverblue? I mean, is it basically okay, the same? Okay. So when you boot into an environment on MicroOS, you're actually booting a read-only ButterFS snapshot. So that that's where it's immutable. It's not using an it's not using a read-only file system like uh, say like OS tree. Now what it is that you're just booting into like an old snapshot and then you can run a tra- transactional dash update shell and now you can actually get into a a uh, the uh, current or the upstream uh, branch of your root file system and you can just mess around with everything in there. So you're basically using like a, a Git system. Yeah, like basically. Hmm. Cool. It does sound. And, so and because you know it's using the zip, zipper package manager, uh, you're basically pulling down Git repositories like you would if you were running t- Tumbleweed anyway for like your updates. So <laughs> you're not downloading like the whole package binary. You're just downloading what's changed about the binary. That's pretty good. Yeah. All right. It sounds it's, sounds very interesting. I might have to give it, that a try. It's is super it, interesting, and uh, when you're just sitting there daily using it, you don't really notice it, which is also fantastic. For you, why would you pick it over Silverblue? Why would I pick it for Silverblue? Yeah. Uh, so the biggest thing about Silverblue is that uh, I have like these three applications that I use for my Dungeons and Dragons campaign. If like you've watched my channel at all, like most of the video most of the videos there are 
stem from like me just posting my uh, Dungeon Dragons campaign videos on my YouTube channel, which I don't really do anymore. But uh, there there are two really big tools that I use: Dungeon Draft and Wonder Draft. You can run them from the from the home directory, which you you can do, but you're not really supposed to do. Or you can or you can put them into Opt. Uh, if you're using anything like Silverblue or, or Kinoite, or Kinoite, however the heck you're sp- supposed to pronounce it. So uh, when when you go to install those packages, you ins- you're supposed to install them into slash Opt so that all the users on the system that people don't really use can use them. But that's generally the bet- better place to run them. Silverblue and Kinoite don't let you post uh, anything yeah. into slash Opt. Yeah, you can't put anything in the root directory at all. Yeah, you can't put anything outside of home. <laughs> so but in micro OS, you'll be able. I to can. Yeah. I can. Yeah. I can also do the same with Nix OS too, but uh, you, you know that comes down with like learning the Nix expression language well, and all that stuff too. Nix is way older, so comparing yeah. any of these to 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 Nix is I think a little bit unfair because that's been developed for so long. That and it's also a very different target audience for Nix. Yeah. 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 Um, Plus, I mean, they've done a really good job of. I mean, NixOS is a thing, and then the Nix package manager is a thing. So, they they've done a good job of just. It's just it's an ecosystem, right? It's whereas yeah, Kino, it's, a, it's a whole ecosystem that makes like the Arch Linux AUR look tiny. Yeah, the 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 thing about Kinoite and Silver. I'm not, I don't know about Silverblue because I haven't used it, but the I've been using Kinoite for three months, or at least I had been. It's gone now, um, but. It, it, the feeling behind that is that it could be good, but it's definitely a beta. And yeah. from the people I've talked to who've used Silverblue, it also has some of the same things, only it's more stable because they use GNOME. And GNOME is so restrictive anyways that it's basically fine to, to use. The Kino, well, the KDE version is just – it's so buggy. And you can just tell it's, it's a beta. That's well, why I didn't make a video di- on it. The biggest difference between Kinoite and and uh, Silverblue is the desktop environments, where the pay where the development pace for KDE is much more aggressive than GNOME's. Uh, they're all the time pushing new features, new configuration options. Plus, and, uh, the-, the the only time that they take time to actually fix on bugs is when they're going is when they announce that they're going to work on the next LTS release for KDE, which that is until like uh, 5.28, if I remember right, is the next yeah. LTS. Yeah. The the biggest problem with the KDE stuff is that it expects root access in some places. That too. It, it expects so so for like for example, the biggest feature of KDE probably at least for me is the ability to theme it right and install new themes from their marketplace of you know thousands of themes. You can't do that on Kinoite without uh, messing around with a whole bunch of different stuff that you really shouldn't be messing around in an immutable file system. Otherwise, out of the box, it's just broken. You know, you can't do it because it's, it's it's expecting things in certain places that aren't actually there because there's missing directories yep. and stuff. So it was just I mean, that was just one of the many bugs that I came across. Now, I'm assuming that eventually they'll get that stuff, but you can tell that that's beta. So that was, led to my other question. This micro does it feel like it's early days or is it like a complete thing? Uh, so I've been using the GNOME stack on, on micro OS and uh, as a result, it's there are. There are some uh, growing pains, I would say, because if you install just a base GNOME image, the first thing it does is it pulls in, like, uh, the GNOME Flatpak image. And uh, it comes up with this little pop-up window that says, Installing Firefox. And if you don't give uh, the machine internet access, that window is not going to go away, and you cannot close it. Mm. Okay. 
But I mean, that's... And of course, it, it defaults to Wayland, too, because no. That, that is very much just a, like... I don't know. Like, it'd be hard-pressed hard to say that that's not something that'll get addressed in the next release candidate. Cause well, like, well, no, but at the same time, it's just like, it does ship with, like, FlatHub set up and enabled, so you can install Flatpaks from, from, like, the largest repository of Flatpaks available. So that that's, like, a thing that it's got going over Silverblue. And, uh, you know, it gives you, a, it gives you a system that you can actually use. Okay. All right, Tyler, what did you have for us this week? Uh, mine is uh, a Kali Linux article, but we're not really going to talk about the article like that much because the article made me think about something else. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, Kali Linux has gotten a, a, an update with some new tools, um, updated kernel, all that good stuff, which is good. But it also made me think because I know that a lot of people use Kali Linux for pen testing. But I wanted to go ahead and use my news article for just a quick kind of poll. So with everybody on this, if you're in live chat, let me know if you use Kali Linux as your main like OS. Like that's what you use. That's your daily driver. And people afterwards leave it in the comments section because I'm interested to see how many people are like, yes, I daily drive Kali Linux. I don't think... Like, I think Kali Linux is a great operating system, but I don't think there's nearly as many people that daily drive it as you might think with how popular it is. Because um, pretty much when you say Kali Linux, almost everyone knows what you're talking about. Like, ex especially if you're in the IT world, like you've heard of it before, um, even if you've never used it. Well, it's it's apparently so prolific that the UK police or the London police, I guess, probably Scotland Yard had put out flyer saying that if you're using Kali Linux, you're obviously a hacker. Like, well, wasn't it like, wasn't it like a flyer? Like if your kids using these things, like they might be a hacker yeah. and like, yeah, it had Kali like Linux if your kids it? pulling up like a terminal prompt, they might yeah. be a hacker. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, like, <laughs> that came from me, the actual police. Yeah. To, to yeah. me, it's just hilarious. Cause you know how many kids were trying to spin up a Minecraft server and then their parents thought they were like trying to hack the NSA <laughs> or some shit. Hamoudi says that of course I use Kali for gaming. <laughs> <laughs> okay so confession time i've never even tried to install cali linux i could never try and that's really, you're not supposed to and never had any interest in i mean i'm not a hacker or of any sort um so i think it's garuda has a an ISO that is made for pen testing as well, yeah. right? I, I believe uh, so. It, it, it's not Garuda directly. It's like a Black Arch is is the one that I'm familiar with. So, yeah, well, is, I think is, they I think Garuda but, has a Black Arch edition, is what they call it. Well, um, yeah, because I I'm, I was pretty sure Garuda had one where it's like their normal like kind of the flashy desktop that either you love or you hate, and then it just had a shitload of pen testing tools thrown on top of it. Which, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, Garuda Black Arch Edition. Okay, so it's basically just Black Arch with a theme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, I'm am ass assuming that they do the usual Garuda stuff too, because they use ButterFS and they use the Zen kernel. No. Um, although, uh, would they would they use the Zen kernel in the pen testing version? Yeah. Uh, uh, well, I mean, I don't see why you wouldn't. Um, I don't you're... think it would make a difference. I imagine it would just use like the standard mainline kernel. Yeah. If well, anything, I mean, because it would have the... access. On the device that you were going to be testing, like 
like doing the pen testing on, you probably want, wouldn't want that device to have the Zen kernel just because I'm sure there's plenty of exploits that you could get around that are there because of the performance tuning of the kernel, which still, let's be honest, like the performance gains you're going to get between a Zen kernel and a regular kernel are like negligible at best. But whatever. honestly, if you want performance in your kernel, just compile your own. Well, and, and, and even then, again, like when we're talking about raw performance, you're not going to get back that much. Like, no, not really. Like, like look, it, it's a fun thing to do for sure. If you like messing around and configuring stuff, you should do it. But you shouldn't solely do it because you think you're going to get an extra 10 FPS in a game. Like, no. Like, but yeah. Uh, Garuda has way too many ISOs. Um, they're, they're getting as bad as Arco. All as right. somebody who loves Arco, I don't like, think that means like, much. Like, yeah, I know, but still, they're getting as bad as Arco. Their website is not as is also. I mean, the whole animation shit always just pisses me off. Yeah, but right. it is a little bit more coherent, just a little bit. Well, oh yeah, a lot. <laughs> Arco's website is garbage. It's really bad. Anyways, um. So, Somebody was asked. Oh, I think I asked a. I did a poll on my community page asking how many people have compiled a uh, a kernel before or have are planning to, and the vast majority of people never compiled their own kernel. So well, no, because they never really had to. Well, I mean, you don't still you still don't have to, okay? <laughs> well, there there are definitely use cases where you need to. Well, you Not know, often, uh, but they, back at, they do have Back in the day, back in my days Th- that's, here, where, you know, okay. we, we used Linux back Josh, in 2004. Josh, I know where you're going. This is not yeah. fair. <laughs> this is we, not fair. We had to compile, uh, you know, uh, Wi-Fi drivers into our kernel, or, you know, we actually had to pull down and compile the NVIDIA driver into the kernel because DKMS didn't exist yet. Look, Tyler you're, was, you're talking about the dark ages of Linux. Yeah, the okay? dark ages, you know. Tyler uh, was or, seven years old in 2004, okay? I'm just going to put this out there. He was seven years old. Okay? That is true. I, I that was 12. <laughs> I, I would I would have been uh, 14. So, um, still wasn't hey, compiling. You, know, you and I are about another. the same age. The difference is that I was doing this on dial-up in the middle of nowhere. Well, I would have been. I, I, I used Windows been 90, doing it at that. Like I used I used Windows 98 and dial up in the middle of nowhere. So, um, <laughs> that's what I was doing. <laughs> okay. Anyways, so my my news item of the week is a little bit more mainstream. Uh, Nvidia has published 73,000 lines worth of header files for their Ampere GPUs, and a lot of this is documentation that people are expecting to help the open source drivers quite a bit. Um, me, I'm not so, and uh, not necessarily, I'm not that enthusiastic. But I'm not as optimistic that this stuff is actually useful. Um, oh you, no, it's useful. I don't know, but I mean, first of all, I, I don't know anything about you know any of this stuff. But it just, and maybe this is my uh, bias against Nvidia, but it feels like sometimes that they have decided that they're going to try to get some positive PR out of this stunt and are just putting out stuff that isn't necessarily going to be all that useful that, and they're keeping back the stuff that they obviously make money on. So I, I don't know. Like, I well, don't know if that's true of this. I'm going to go ahead and say you're right. Just based off of reading the article, like, cause pretty much anything GTX 900 and newer won't 
like won't benefit at all from any of this. They're still oh, no. going to be particularly slower on Nuvo because they can't they can't adjust their clock speeds or anything. And then if it's older, it will benefit massively from this. But those aren't the cards that Nvidia is selling now. So like it's a good thing if you own an older card. But if you're looking to buy a card, you probably still shouldn't pick Nvidia if you want open source drivers. Well, it's, it, it feels like they released all the older stuff because it no longer applies and is going to have no benefit, right, to the... So a lot of the articles that I've read about this in the last week have, or the podcast where I've where they talked about it, they were everybody's like, oh my goodness, NVIDIA's like an open source company now, and uh, no, they're, no, they're, so very, they're being so very generous in open sourcing all this stuff, and... It, it more feels like to me that they're open sourcing the stuff that no longer matters. And while, yeah, yeah maybe the, the Nouveau guys will be able to pull something out of this that is a little bit helpful. Okay, Matt, can I stop you here? Because I mean, uh, there is one person in this chat that we're having that can really benefit from this. Because, you know, he's developing a game. What they published was actually the 3D instructions for every GPU from the 400 series to current. And yeah. that's actually a pretty big deal. That means that, uh, you know game engines will actually work better because now they actually know how to draw 3D assets or that, like they're better prepared to draw 3D assets not in a video really. game. Not really. You're technically true but also not really. Like Matt's point is very much true. Like they are like yes, the performance on the older cards are going to be better, but up to current is not true. Like that's not true. It's only up to 900 series cards. So anything that NVIDIA is selling themselves first party is at least 10 ser or 1,000 series and up. So essentially what Matt's saying is 100% true. Like for older stuff, yes, this benefits like a big time. But it, NVIDIA is only open sourcing the stuff that doesn't affect their, their market like selling now. So everything that's being released, it's great it's ev and, and everything. But it's not like NVIDIA is now a like true participant in open source and passionate about open source. They're literally only open sourcing the stuff that cannot affect their their business model now. Well, I, I mean, e either way, like either like either like no matter what the bottom line is, the rhetoric around the this announcement and the announcement we had like a month ago where they were opening sourcing some of the blobs like AMD did ages ago. The bottom line is that the they're not as altruistic as some of these pe people in the yeah. Linux community seem to think, right? And okay, let, let's take my cynic hat off for just a minute and just say, you know what? It's better than nothing. You know what I mean? It's yeah, absolutely better obviously. than nothing. It's better than the way, where we were before, you know, uh, before they did this, right? It, and and it's good, right? I just and and as I said when we talked about them open sourcing the blobs, like just calm down a little bit, just pump the brakes, and don't automatically jump to Nvidia's our friend now. You know what I mean? Well, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's AMD's it's kind of like you friend. should. I think you should kind of have... Well, exactly, yeah. AMD is not your friend. Like, they're just there to sell you something. But at the end of the day, like, I, I think it's really just... You should have the same mindset as a random person doing something good. 
Like, you know, like when you see a random person doing something good, you're like, that's awesome. But you don't also go immediately. That person could be like my best friend. Like you don't know anything about that person. For all you know, he might be a great guy during the day. And then at night he becomes a serial killer. Like it's the same thing you should have with NVIDIA. Like they're doing good things. That's awesome. And you should like not just be happy about it, but also openly say it's a good thing. But also don't think that they're your best friend. Like they they clearly had like if they were as altruistic as some people are making them out to be, um, it wouldn't be up to 900 series GPUs. It would be every single GPU. All of their headers would be released. But you know that could hurt their bottom line. AMD could use that against them. Then they, it, there's just too many factors that come into that, so they don't yeah. mess with it. Which and, again, you know, like business-wise, makes sense. Like I'm not saying they're doing something for the sake of being bad. Like it logically, business-wise, it makes sense. But also, that does make it clear. Like they're not your best friend. They're not doing everything just because they're altruistic and love open source. Like no. But realistically, like if they're making hardware, they're probably not your best friend unless their name is Pine Sixty Four. Because <laughs> not even the Raspberry Pi Foundation is your friend. Yeah. But uh, when it, when it comes down to like Nvidia open sourcing things, we have to remember that uh, they that they've been a proprietary project forever, and uh, there's a potential for a lot of legal issues if they just release everything yes. open source to even begin with. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, because you know it's proprietary. Who knows how many of those lines of codes have actually been just straight up copy and pasted from Stack Exchange? Well, Who really not knows? even that. Like they're, they they could license out parts or not license out well they could license part parts of their code out to other companies and open sourcing it could change the licensing on that and then also if they're using code from other companies or elsewhere that has a license tied on to it they yeah. can't open source it like and you know. and that's why the Linux kernel still uses gpl2 as as the the default license they've talked about moving up to gpl3 but you have to remember that there's been uh, 20 plus thousand individual commits from different people hosted on there and they all have their own license so they have to ask every single one of those people if that license change is okay and well, a lot of it probably going to be no it's going to get more complicated as they bring rust into the mix there too well, so, well not, not even with just rust just no matter what over time it's only going to get more complex because there's just going to be more commits so screw it's, it it's like... start over again that's what we need to do <laughs> Well, I, start I over know. again. Like, let's all resettle. Let's all rebase on GNU herd. It's actually a functioning kernel to, now. To me, I don't. I don't think us not like the kernel not being up, being able to move up to GPL three is a reason to like nuke and pave, because like I, <laughs> I don't. I don't think it being GPL two is holding it back in any way right now. Um, if it does because a become become a problem, I feel like the Linux community can find a solution. Like. It may it might not please everybody, but I'm damn sure we can come up with a solution to the problem. Well, I mean, the version two of that license is still widely used, not just by yeah. the kernel, but by a lot of things. Oh well, yeah. So it's it. I mean, if that was if it was so antiquated that it wasn't being used anymore, then it might be a problem. But we're a long ways away from that if that even ever happens, because a lot of people, you know, just have, you know issues with version three for various moral reasons because there's some parts of that are just very restrictive Uh, morally version three is a bit of a virus well and well and also there's use cases where gpl2 is way better than gpl3 like 
not just off you can or can't use one. Like there's definitely use cases where GPL2 is just more appealing, gives you more options um, down the line. So, yeah, uh, that said, if you're publishing an open source software project, you should probably post post the license anyway. It doesn't. Wow. Ma- you GitHub makes it easy. It's just like you take a box. Yeah, I think it, it it's one of the the Git farms like GitLab or GitHub, but it was one of the more minor ones. They actually force you to do it. Like you can't yeah, post I a project. It, I think it's source that forces you to publish a license. Like you can't you can't publish anything on there via Git without a license at all. Yeah, um, and the main reason for that is because uh, under under the U.S. law, anything that you create, like, say, your YouTube videos, before they even touch YouTube, they are technically all rights reserved, which basically means that you are the sole person that has all the rights to that thing. Tech, technically speaking. Like, again, U.S. law. Oh, no, no. It's Supreme Court approved. Yes, but also, like, there are stipulations that come with it. Like, it depends on... Essentially, you're correct as long as it's just you, just you yeah. working on it, and you haven't published it. Anywhere. We, we should and all just stop right here and admit that none of us are lawyers. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's, so, that's uh, a so damn good piece of information. We, we we can say all we want about copyright law, and none of us could possibly be right 100 percent of the time because we're not lawyers, and even lawyers don't know what they're talking about half the fucking time. Um. One of the things that we didn't talk about a few weeks ago was that was it Fedora that decided that they weren't going to allow anything that was licensed under Creative Commons or something like that again. Yeah, um, Fedora that's not not allowing Creative Commons for software licenses. Yeah, that, really. Yeah, that that kind of I mean, Creative Commons isn't. I mean, first of all, why are you licensing your con- your software under Creative Commons anyways? It's not really a software license. It's for content, um, at least some of the versions anyways. I don't know about all of them. Um, but it just it just felt a little weird for me that they're uh, apparently that's not ESF approved for them or any anymore or something. It was a little it was a little confusing, but um yeah th- that's another area where licenses are have been in the news lately. So um, moving on to the main topic, which um, shockingly we've been recording for 46 minutes, so we're right on time. Adding a third person, Tyler did not add to our podcasting time, anyways, yeah. at least so far. I'm um, sorry. No, 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 no. <laughs> you're, you're keep, I just expected with a third person we'd add a third of the time on. Oh, the I'm podcast. sorry. Should I be shilling here how Gentoo is the best distribution, even though I don't really use it anymore? Don't worry. We'll give you time at the end to just sell everybody on Gentoo. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll just leave the stream on while I go about the rest of my day. You can just sit here and, and proselytize <laughs> all of your Gentoo stuff. Um, he well, you he see, comes back one, days later. I, you're I still currently going. have a single machine here that has not seen the grace of Gen 2, because, you know, I've even attempted Gen 2 on the Galaxy S21. That did not go very well. You... You're... You're weird. <laughs> <laughs> you hey. tried putting... Hey. Hold on. Let's be honest for a sec. You tried putting Gen 2 on a Samsung new phone. Like, it's not an old phone at all. Galaxy S21? Yep. S21 even... Ultra. Good lord, man. Even I don't hate myself enough to even try it. I know that would be a pain in the ass. Because well, hey. even if you could get it to work, like, you have to mess around with, like, device drivers. Like, mm-hmm. and not just one or two. Like, mm-hmm. multiple. Good lord. I did not get the GPU driver working. In <laughs> fact, I couldn't even get the network stack working. I would be surprised if you got the GPU working at all. Hardware I did get a display, but it was all CPU rendered, which, you know, was absolutely horrible. <laughs> 
you're 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 obsessed there, Josh, my friend. All right, moving on. So our main topic this week is a little bit niche, and but I wanted to talk about it anyways. I know that a good portion of our audience don't give a crap about tiling window managers, which is unfortunate for you folks because that's what we're going to talk about for the next 20, 30 minutes or so. We're going to talk about tiling window managers, but specifically, I want to talk about dynamic versus manual. And this is a thing that I've, I've thought about a lot because, at least in the last week, because I did that Archcraft video and I've never spent a lot of time in open box. Like, I'm not a big open box guy. Like, I, I know the basics of it. Like, I know how to uh, create menu items and stuff like that. But for the most part, I've just avoided it because I'm not a floating guy, right? And it got me thinking about the other side of the tiling aspect where there are two different types of tilers. Like there's dynamic tilers like DWM and Xmonad and there's there's manual tilers like I3 and PWM. And I've during my course of being a tiling window manager user, I've transitioned from being an I3 user where I swore by the manual tiling aspect of it. Like I needed that absolute control over where the next window spawned and would not hear anything about how dynamic was better. And then I, as I progressed in learning how to, you know, compile my own code and learned a little bit more C and stuff like that, I installed DWM, which is a dynamic tiler. And at that point, then I was like, dynamic tiling window managers are the best. And now I'm back on i3 and I've basically made i3 into a dynamic tiling window manager, which is a little weird, but, um, so my question for you guys and you guys can decide who goes first, is what do you think... I mean, first of all, let's just put this out there. Like, I, We know that the best answer is use whatever's best for your workflow. Don't give me that answer because that would make the podcast really short. If you had to choose, again, what do you guys think is the best? What, what, what do you think is the most functional, all that kind of stuff? Dynamic or manual? Tyler's. Uh, Tyler, Josh, take it away. Somebody. I'll go first. Okay. See, if you're going to be using anything like a tiling window manager, and you're not going to use a floating window manager like Openbox or anything like that, uh, then I highly recommend that you just start with a dynamic window manager uh, because you want that window tiling, and you want it to try it out. So it's just like, why don't you just use something that does all the tiling for you? That's, That's really a... it. Yeah. Um, I I would mostly agree with that. Like, and by mostly agree, I mean, I agree with the dynamic Tyler should be the choice. My reasoning is just like, it's going to take less off you. Like it's just, it's, it's a, it's a usability aspect that you can find out like whether you want manual control later. Like as soon as you figure out how configuring a window manager works, um, a tiling window manager, then, then you should figure out whether or not like, like whether or not you want manual control or how you want the manual control to work, like all of that. Like, I think I think for most people, dynamic is where you should definitely start, and it's probably going to be the thing that you'll end up using. Like for most people, manual's great. Like it it is great. Like I, it's weird. I think if you're not hard pressed on either or, like like you you haven't decided that this is the one that you like you'll end up just ping-ponging between them cuz like yeah. they're they're kind of di- like they they offer different things and based off of what you're doing like some something that like a lot of people don't like to acknowledge about everyone when it comes to using a computer is people change and so like what you're doing like 
um, now versus six months ago can be completely different. And for some use cases, manual tilers are great. And some use cases, dynamic tilers are better. Sometimes that, that distinction's not there, but there are use cases where there, where it is. And if you're not already picked one, like you're hard pressed, like I love a manual or I love a dynamic, you'll just kind of switch back and forth as you play along with things or think that this might be better for this time in the year. And I still don't think like for those types of people, you should start off on a manual. Like it, when you're, if you haven't made up your mind, you're completely new, stick with a dynamic. It's probably okay. a good start. I'm going to disagree with both of you, actually. Okay. I think – First, think, you're just going to say that they start with i3. I think that they should start out with i3. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Um, but even even if you aren't going to start out with i3, BSPWM would be a good option for a lot of people because, first of all, it's written in a language that a lot of people know. Like it's written – I mean I, you, you can write that config in any uh, anything you want, really, but it's by default it's written in Bash, and a lot of people know Bash. And even if they don't know Bash, they don't have to know like if statements and case statements and while loops and all this stuff. They don't need to know that. You can use those in the configuration file if you want to. But basically, it's just a shell script that uses a program, BSPC, right? But the point is is that with BSPWM, you get the best of both worlds. By default, it looks damn near like a dynamic tiling window manager because it has a layout, right? And mm-hmm. it's a layout that is used across almost every window manager it's the spiral thing right mm-hmm. and the thing is is it has it's my actually a manual tiler because you can use pre-selection that's the reason why uh, you know it's a manual but uh, tyler you're like i me never in this. used it nobody I, uses yeah, very few people use pre-selection first of all i mean you really have to you know have a lot of windows open on a single workspace in order for pre-selection to make a lot of sense because most people have two and that's side by side. That's pretty much all you're ever going to need unless you want them on top of each other. And then you can easily do that. Um, that's, that's the reason why BSPWM makes a lot of sense for me as someone's first window manager. I three on the other hand, I think is probably the best for brand new beginners, not because of the manual or dynamic argument, but mostly because the configuration file is so easy to pick up and the documentation is so good. Um, and the I community mean, is there too. Yeah, I mean, there's, and it's very popular, so you're going to be able to get help when you, if you need help. The thing is, is that when you're trying to back to the manual or uh, dynamic thing, most of the most popular dynamic window managers are written, are, or I should say, are source-based, source-configured uh, window managers. The, the popular ones, like you know, DWM, Xmonad, those things are configured in the language that they are. Uh, you know, written in. You, know, you got C for DWM and you got Haskell for Xmonad. Yeah, and everything else is basically just the downstream fork of DWM. Right, yeah. exactly. The the thing is, is that when you have to use one of those things, you have to learn that language. So, for example, if you're going to use Awesome, Awesome is a really weird window manager in that it starts out with a default floating layout, right? Uh, yep. it, has, it has tiling, it also has the manual mode and has all these layouts and stuff so it's a really weird one but it's an example of something like if you want to use it you need to know lua well you don't need to know lua but you need to know you need to be comfortable with using lua right if you're going to use xmonad you have to be comfortable with haskell and the only person we know who's comfortable with haskell is dt um I'm just gonna put that out there. DT is like the why haven't why haven't they changed the Haskell logo to be like DT's head? 
He well, actually, here's here's more of one that I'm surprised. I'm surprised that Haskell has not reached out to DT to design some stuff like between them both, like work together to like make some merch, do like like a kind of like a promotional thing. Like they should totally do it. I should do think he should be the, the, the mascot. The developers at one point was talked about like using a screenshot from one of DT's videos. <laughs> <laughs> well I, like you know how like some youtubers are so like prolific or whatever th- that when they cover a product the the company then uses their videos on the website that's yeah. definitely going to happen with dt and haskell but the, the yeah. point is the point is with like xmonad you have to know haskell if you're going to use dwm you have to know you know some c right with it seems like with manual tilers and this is not the case across the board obviously but you are going to be much more comfortable with whatever language they're in because a lot of them are either user-readable, uh, similar to like what like Herps Luft or i3 uh, or BSPWM where they're written in a uh, – you can basically write it in anything, but they're configured by default in Bash. So it feels like the manual tilers have a better, uh, more new user-friendly configuration scheme. Not always, but – a lot of the times. I, I, maybe that's just you, the... I mean, you are right. Typically, manual tilers do have more user-friendly configuration files. Typically. But really? it was a little cheap of you to use BSPWM as your example, because that is both. That is both. So well, it's I like, think it kind of is both, too. Yeah, like, they're... like, like but oh, definitely no, you BSPWM, sometimes have to hit Super like, V. Oh, yeah, no. BSPWM is the one, like like window manager that you could call out that's perfect for both because like it i mean it is a manual tiler by default but also an automatic tiler or or a dynamic tiler by default like too it's perfect like i i think you're right though like i mean really in all honesty like if you're if you're interested in checking out like window managers in general and you don't have your own personal opinion on which is the best for you bspw is great because it's really you, good. Like, well, that also depends if you're running GNOME or not. Because with GNOME, you can there's two well, different extensions you can install to make um, a, a window manager. Uh, all right, let's talk about that for a minute, shall we? Because that is such a it, okay. So maybe okay. If you've never <laughs> used a tiling window manager before, the GNOME extensions are good. If you've never yeah. used if you've never used one before, you'll be happy. That'll be, that's a good way. Josh is right. That's a good way to get your feet wet in it. But if you've used a tiling window manager before, or any window manager, open box, whatever, it doesn't matter, Fluxbox, you can use, it doesn't matter which one you've ever used before. If you go back to that, it's like putting a cat in a kennel. You know what I mean? Because uh, yes, it, uh, if you're curious we, we on what the extensions over. we're talking about, first of all, let's let's talk about these extensions. There's two of them. Uh, the, yes. the most famous one is called Pop Shell. It's the one that Pop OS uses by default, mm-hmm. where you hit like super Y and suddenly you have a pseudo dynamic tiling window manager. Uh, mm-hmm. The other one that I'm talking about is Material Shell, uh, which which is uh, it's a bit more like heavy on the customization aspect compared to a uh, Pop Shell, but it but it's a it's a project that's existed for like uh, mm-hmm. almost like 13 years at this point. Yeah, it's very it, it has a very good foundation. Like there's a lot of people developing it. So 
or at least using it. There's a lot of people yeah. using it. I have no idea. Uh, how that and uh, Material Shell is available in like the Gnome Extension Store, uh, whereas the Pop Shell is not. But, uh, you know, if you're using Fedora, there's a copper repository that has it maintained by Carl George, which is a guy that works upstream in Fedora. So it's almost official support for it. Or, you know, you could just uh, install Pop OS and okay, use so it. I haven't yeah. used the Material Shell, so I can't really speak to the customization levels. But if you, most people, it seems like, use the Pop Shell, right? Yeah. And maybe not maybe not most, but I mean that's usually their first, you know, exposure uh, to it. Probably realistically, they're using it because it's the easiest one to use. Well, because it comes pre-installed, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. The th- the thing, and that's the one that I have my experience with too. And you got to remember is that I was a long time window manager before that, and going into that one, finding out that there are some things that are hard coded in ter- into it in terms of key bindings was just unacceptable mm-hmm. to me, right? Mm-hmm. I, I am. 100% used to being able to use SXHKD to do whatever I want. And whatever I damn well please, I can make any key chord that I feel like. I can make the most complicated Emacs-like key chord if I want to. Um, and that's Alt-X, perfect. Control B, Control Y, yeah. Shift 6. And, and even, <laughs> even if you don't use SXHKD, every single window manager out there that is an actual window manager allows you to do basically whatever you want when it comes to key bindings. Maybe they don't have key chords. But most of them. Every you time can't... you say key chords, I just think about your hand, and it just being like an X-ray of just a completely broken, like <laughs> scattered hand. They're they're great. I have so many of them. Uh, I I could not live fair, without them. To be fair, the three of us, I'm the only one that actually uses Emacs on a daily basis. Do you? Have I, I don't. With I don't even know what to say about that. Uh, you should, you should uh, definitely. You should use Vim. Just be a normal person for once, Josh. It's alright. Vim is a good. Vim. Is good enough, man. You I, need I, to, use, I use Vim too. Uh, <laughs> Vim is on my servers. Emacs is on the desktop. This is not an Emacs stream. Okay. I'm just okay. Gonna... <laughs> <laughs> uh, Josh is like it could be. Anyways, the the point is is that when you use a window manager, you're used to being able to do all those things. You use a pop shell, you get in there, and it's just it, it's curtailed. Now, like I said, it's great if you've never used one before. And, mm-hmm. You know, and you know, it, it, it you you get to the point where you can you know use it, and maybe you get used to the tiling aspect of the things, and then you know it's fine. But then maybe you move on. My biggest problem with those things is that it gives the impression of that's what a window manager is. Like I've seen some people in the chat say my window manager is Pop OS. Like no, that's not a that's not a window manager. That's that's well, fancy tiling. Like that's that's your window manager. Well, I mean your your window manager's mutter, but that this well, kind of again gnome. Like <laughs> at the end of the day, it's gnome. Right. But, but you're right. You're right. I and and to. To expand off of that, I think what it is is you get the impre- like you get the look of what a Tyler is. Like you get to see like visually what a Tyler is with them, but you don't understand anything about a tiling window manager, and you're also not really using a tiling window manager like you would use any other Tyler. Like there's there's hardly anything configurable about it. Um, like pretty much all you get from a like from one of those shells is or the tyler extensions is it it just the appearance of what does tiling look like that's what you get yeah you don't you don't get anything else and i i think it's a good introduction if you've never seen a tyler before but it's not a good introduction to using a tyler because 
the exception to this entire conversation is bismuth on key to e so if you're going to if if you're going to do this kind of thing where you want to use a desktop environment and then turn it into a tiling window manager bismuth is actually a good option it's still not the same but at least with the 10 billion you know options for customization that kde offers you can turn that into a very close replica of what you'd get with a tile manager it's still very gooey based like all of your configuration stuff is going to be happening in, in the settings panel right and you want to do all the key bindings from the settings panel okay but you can at least control everything that you would normally be able to control mm -hmm. in, a, in a manager there's two problems with that obviously first of all you're getting very attached to the gooey again because most window managers in fact probably all of them have the vast majority of the configuration done in a terminal in a, in a config file, right? The other thing is, is in traditional KD fashion, uh, it's buggy as all shit. <laughs> you know, like, like, I was uh, just waiting for that to come uh, up in the conversation. That like, like, said, that said if you want to try like a, a Linux distribution that uses like a full GNOME stack with, regolith, a, win with right. a proper window manager, it's like the only realistic option is in fact regolith or, you yeah. know, you could like, figure out how to download Arco Linux and use one of those things. Yeah. yeah. So my biggest problem with Regolith, and it's great. I think it's fantastic. You are yeah. actually using i3 and everything that you want to do. And my biggest problem with them is they've changed so much in terms of where things are at. Mm -hmm. So all of their configuration files are in different places. So if you start off with Regolith and you're like, yeah, I'm using i3. This is fantastic. It's very good. But then you say you move to Arch. And you install i3, and then you go to look for the configuration file, and it's not in the same place as Regolith stored theirs, and you're going to be well, a little that, confused. And Regolith hard forks i3 to the point where, like, they don't even respect the user home configuration. Yes. They, yeah. It they, will default to the system configuration every time. That is that is very true. Yeah. However, I will say, I, I don't think for most people it's going to be that big of a deal. I think it'll be, like, I think... For most people, if you switch away and you find out that the configuration file is not in the same place, um, you'll probably be able to get a browser open or go on your phone and do a search and find that, like, okay, Arch's i3 configuration file is in this spot. Yeah. I, I, I think for most people, it won't be that big of a deal, but your point still stands. Like, yes, uh, I, it, that could definitely be confusing for someone. And I, I don't know, but. I think I think pretty much with any Linux distribution that tries to make something that's not necessarily super simple or easy to understand, um, there's all like you can always nit nitpick it to like. Yeah, that's true. And anyone. and another thing is is that I've been accused many times of not giving people enough credit in order to be you know smart enough to figure a lot of things out. And uh, most of the reason why that is because in my experience, most people are fucking stupid. Um, no offense to everybody, but I think well, that about I think that about a myself. smart person. Look, yeah. Well, see, here's the thing: a smart person can be stupid. Anybody can be stupid. So, um, that like just he, because you're being stupid right now doesn't mean you're always stupid. Right. That, but people, everybody can be stupid. People get entrenched in the things that they use, so and they begin to think that that's the way those things always go. And one of the reasons why we've talked over and over and over on this podcast about trying new things is because it exposes you to different ways of doing things. And it broadens your ability to learn how to think about when something is done in a different way than what you're expecting it. And I think that that is always a good thing. And 
I know I just spent like 10 minutes poo-pooing the Pop OS, the, the Pop Shell. Uh, if you're using that and you enjoy it, that's great, and I'm not going to say that's a bad thing. Uh, I would just h highly caution you that if you then move on to using something like BSPWM or uh, you know DWM or i3 or whatever, don't expect the experience to be the same just because you used a tiling window manager in Pop OS. You know what I mean? Because they're not they're not the same. I mean, it's not a true tiling window manager, but if you see like a workflow benefit out of it. Go ahead and use it. Yeah, if you, well, if you like it. I mean, I, you're, it's free well, especially open if you're software. using software. You can use it for whatever you want. Yeah. Well, well I mean, if you're using Pop, there's no reason not to have it. Like, it, especially if you like it, like it's already there, like in the background. Just I don't understand it. the workflow behind GNOME and haven't for a long time. Okay, I've bitched and complained about GNOME yeah. for years. I still don't care if you use it though. If you like, I, I know a lot of, I, I know a ton of people who love the workflow of GNOME. Like they just love, they will not look at anything else, and that is perfectly fine. Like seriously, if it works for you, that's fantastic. Like it, it would drive me absolutely fucking insane. Like I have GNOME on that computer behind me, it drives me nuts on a daily basis, but I'm forcing myself to use it for. I don't know why I'm a masochist or something. I don't know. But if, if it works for you, that's great. Uh, I know people who will only ever use KDE despite the many problems that KDE has. I know people I, – I, I know DT. He'll only use Xmonad. I mean that's not true. <laughs> and he uses other things, but he swears by Xmonad. He loves Haskell, right? You know, there are people who just get so attached to the things. that Like for me right now, I cannot foresee myself ever switching away from i3 again. I love i3 so much, and I've spent so much time customizing it to literally be perfection. Get out of my chat room, you fucking bots. I hate you. Nobody cares about your adult dating site. <laughs> like, seriously. All right. Don't worry. I love, I love how every single person that's in the podcast goes, nope, this has to end now. Like, I don't, I'm pretty sure people watching this can all see, but all of our faces immediately went to chat. And like, <laughs> this is going to get nuked. All right. Let's talk for about five minutes about YouTube, shall we? Because I, I want to talk. I want to rant about this. Like, like yeah. Google is the most powerful company in the world. Or at least one of them. Okay, you can argue. They're the most powerful tech company in the world. Yeah, well, I, 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 <laughs> of all of the ones, I mean, like Apple has the most money, but when it comes to influence on the internet, Google is the thing, right? Everyone, yep. like, it, it's they be they, they're they're like Kleenex. When you grab a tissue, you don't say you're grabbing a facial tissue. You grab grab a Kleenex, even if they you don't you know. When you Google when you search something on the internet, you Google it. It's become the yep. verb, right? They're so powerful and so almighty when it comes to all of their technologies and stuff like that, they can't handle fucking bots in the comment section. Like, well, you see, no, there's a very realistic, even... easy solution to this. Just, okay. just allow Unicode fonts ban emojis, and that immediately shuts down a lot of the bot spam. Because yes. they already have a very strong text filter. Yes. Well, but see, there's what blows me away about it not being found is that like uh, okay yes they're using unicode characters but you can also detect what unicode characters there are well and yeah, so you if you if you if you've already have the text like the text filter set up and working properly you take the unicode characters filter them into text and then compare it using your normal text filter what? and so the links that get thrown up because most of these sex bots and everything like that like they have like they, yeah, they have emojis in them, but there are regular people that have emojis in their name. 
all of the Unicode characters, if you have a link in your name, get rid of it. You guys like, are you, you guys are thinking about this even too too much because yes, those things are problems and they definitely need to work on those and, and the vast majority of them would get caught by the things you're talking about. But there's something even simpler that they could do. If, if the username says best adult dating site, ban that person. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, no, like, that, that's what I'm saying. Like, cause how they're getting away. With, well, you like, see, there was the a very stuff. real solution to this and everybody didn't like it because of privacy. You guys remember when Google was really pushing like the real ID thing? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, I understand why that that's a bad idea, and I don't think that that's the way to go because a lot of people, first of all, oh, don't have not. ideas, IDs, and another thing, like by forcing people to have their own identity, true identity online, it you know has the whole connotation of people who are in party in, in countries where there's like actual dictators and shit. Well, ev- it's even worse than that. Like, it's very basic. At that point, Google is inseparable from the government because if you essentially have to take a government ID and give it to Google, then not only does the government have a list of civilians like everywhere, Google has a list of civilians, not just in one country, okay. but in a majority. The, like the, the solution for this is, first of all, make it impossible to chat on anything for the first 15 or 20 minutes of the after they consecrated. Okay. So that's going to stop some of it. Okay. After that, you have to put some. You have to give the creators the ability to actually, like, ban IP addresses, like not just usernames. Actually, like, literally make it so that this person who's from a, this IP address can't do anything on my channel anymore. You know well, what I mean, I mean, I I think like no, I think that's like way too complex. The solution is super simple. Like, run a filter on the username if it has a link. Or something like a keyword, like the same way the text filter works now. Like if you throw fuck in there, it gets it gets blocked and you have to manually show it. Like same thing with a username. If it's got a link in it, it's got a swear word, something like that, block it out and let, make me manually show it. There is no, like, there's no excuse for how complicated this could be that makes sense. Like, we're talking about an analytics company that specializes in database management. Well, that's re- that's re- that's really the point. Now, no matter what solution they come up with, the fact that we are 20 years into YouTube at this point, and mm-hmm. they're still having this freaking problem. And uh, you know, I, you guys probably remember the days where it seemed like YouTube changed their interface like every single day. Like there yeah. was there was a point there was a period of like four or five years where they changed things like constantly. Bro, like they, they moved do you to... remember back in the day when you could like set up your own custom backgrounds and stuff like that? Like have I like remember a... like uploading Dude. CSS templates into yes. YouTube. That <laughs> shit was awesome. <laughs> it <laughs> was awesome, and I wish they brought it back, but they're never going to. <laughs> but also, the site would look so much worse. Like because like, I, I remember just... some people's channels were so bad looking. Yeah, like some some of them had like the animated gifs in the background <laughs> with like the transparent it, window. It was like GeoCities. Okay, let's just. Yeah. <laughs> okay um but the, the the point i was trying to make was that, that they've there was that period of time where they were changing things constantly and it feels like since they've abandoned that where they're changing things constantly where they've made zero progress in like the last five years in anything like the the, the site looks the same the moderation tools are basically the same as they were five years ago arguably uh, worse well yeah yeah and it, it feels like youtube is 100 percent standing still the only thing they've added 
are stupid shorts, which I absolutely hate, and yeah, stories. So basically, the only thing they've added in the last five years are two things that they ripped off from other companies. Yeah. Um, that, oh, well, and can we also address the fact that, like, shorts are, like, clinically speaking, like, they're bad for your health. Like, they're exploitative. Like, shorts are designed I, I to I love trip. TikTok, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and see, that's the problem. Most people do. Why? TikTok is designed to be as addictive, if not more, yeah. than gambling. Because in gambling, like the whole reason that you're sitting there is a massive emotional, like dopamine payoff. Like you're going to get all this money. Like it feels good when you get that. Um, TikTok is designed to give you a dopamine hit every like five seconds. Yeah. Like it. The shorts, like the reason TikToks are super short is because you're constantly scrolling in every new piece of content. You get a small hit of dopamine until you stay using it. Yeah. It's the same idea with YouTube. Like mm -hmm. it's like, look, I understand the reasoning behind why you would design something like this when your business model is built off of people staying on the platform. I get it, but it is extremely unhealthy. Like oh. it's... Mm -hmm. That's it's why I only really use it in the bathroom. Bad. It's okay. I'm fine. I understand. And, I understand. and I know a lot. I know a lot of kid, like like adults that have like, I have one of my best friends. He's just now stopped his son. Like he doesn't let his son like use TikTok at home anymore, because like dude, it is terrible. Like when I see kids that are using oh, TikTok, like if a whole you're bunch, below 20 like, years old, you shouldn't be able to use it. I mean, you dude, it's it is it so bad. It is so exploitative. Because yeah. you, because all right, ignore the. I mean, uh, don't ignore the the exploitative stuff. But the, you have to be able to. You have to have a fully formed brain to use TikTok. Like you have to because there's some stupid ass shit on there. Like there's just yeah. stuff like. And the thing about, I mean, generalizing here, but a lot of kids, it's monkey see, monkey do. They see this shit on YouTube. There's a reason why there's all these TikTok challenges and stuff like that. It's because these kids who don't have fully formed brains and the ability to understand the difference between right and wrong want to get likes it's and share on YouTube. It's not kids. Right? It's adults, too. So it's well, just I, like, yeah, they I know, should just ban the service entirely. Those people can go to jail. <laughs> That's the thing. That was a rabbit hole. I don't want to get into that. <laughs> okay. okay so let's, just, let's just stop there. Uh, let's talk about window managers. Um, <laughs> let's, let's just pause. Let's just... Um, it's it's nuts. The whole internet, the S whole internet is absolutely insane, and you probably shouldn't use it. I think that that's yep. that's the bottom line. You should get. We're we're all gonna go out and sniff some grass. Uh, Tyler, not that kind of grass. No, let's talk about nerdy <laughs> Linux stuff, okay? Let's talk about nerdy Linux stuff. Okay. Uh, anyways, so do we have anything else to say about the 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 web manager thing? Any, either of you guys, anything else? To say about uh, this? so. For those that are curious, uh, the workflow of a, of a manual window manager, it changes depending on the window manager. It really does. Uh, there are some like i3 where it's just like you have a predefined layout. There's another, there, there's other window managers that won't let you open up a window until you tell it where it's going to open the window at. Uh, this is like, I believe this is the default behavior of uh, Herb's left WM. Mm -hmm. uh, which is probably one of the more, I think it's actually been growing as like a community project. Like it's it's actually seeing more and more use if, these days. If you have a widescreen monitor, uh, like an ultra wide widescreen, like, like an ultra widescreen monitor, Herpsluff is probably the best window manager. Maybe Sway is also there because they both do the same thing. They have this amazing configuration file where you can basically tell the window manager to treat your one widescreen monitor as three separate monitors. You just tell it the position yep. of the pixels, right? 
and that's yeah. amazing if you have a widescreen monitor. And we didn't like Sway does the exact same thing. That's how you because it doesn't use X, it doesn't use X-ray at all. So you have to tell the compositor where everything is. And you can obviously, if you just have one, you can tell you know I have well, this resolution. Uh, believe it or not. Herbsloft W actually does use X-Rander. Well, no, no, no. I didn't say Herbsloft didn't use X-Rander. I said Sway doesn't use X-Rander because it's not oh, an X, yeah. it's, it's Wayland. Yeah, because yeah, you know uh, Sway's the one doing that job now. <laughs> well, yeah, of course, right. But the 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 point is is that both of those window managers, despite using different display you know display uh, servers in the back end, is that they have this virtual monitor aspect and it's one of the most amazing things i don't use it because i have i have 27 inch monitors i don't need to split them up any more than they already are but if you have a widescreen that's just amazing the other thing about herps luft is that it is probably the most configurable window manager you'll ever see like seriously yes. if you go to through their i did this on stream one night where i just read out their their uh the man page it's like i don't know 50,000 lines long and it has so many different options. It's like what DWM claims to be, except that it actually tells you how to do it. Well, that <laughs> well, I mean, it's not even like DWM is so minimal. It has you have to put so yeah. many different patches and stuff in it. <laughs> Herpsoft has all the patches basically. Like it'd be like having DWM with all the patches. It has all the features and stuff like that, but with documentation, like actual <laughs> documentation, right? Yeah. Um. So just before we move on to the the thingies of the week. Let's take just a small minute to talk about our favorite window managers, just real quick. So, mine's i3, obviously. Tyler, you switch around quite a bit. So, what is the one that you're interested in right now? Um, I don't, I don't know. I'm honestly torn between um, DWM, which is like kind of like my like rollback, like like yeah, like just if if I'm having problems, just mess around with DWM, like it'll be fine. Um, but really in all honesty, like I've taken a big liking to open box here recently. Um, just, just because like I've tried testing out like Linux mint and playing games on it in different, um, in different window managers and seeing like if any window managers had issues that like I, I've so far I've tried BSPWM, DWM and open box. And when I tried out open box, I actually, I forgot how much I liked OpenBox. Like it the, is really nice. The customizability of that menu system is really nice. Like, so yeah. if, if if you are someone who is interested in using a menu at all, OpenBox yeah. has yeah. the best one. And, and also, like it, it was a big like kind of nostalgia factor for me because I used you, to use CrunchBang. Yeah, yeah. As, as long as you like editing X or uh, XML files is what I should yeah. say. <laughs> yeah. Well, that <laughs> and the, like, there's tools where you can just automatically generate the open box oh, menu. Too. Yeah, you can. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. But that's cheating. So yeah, Josh, yeah. It, it's more fun to do the XML yourself. <laughs> oh yeah, it is. <laughs> I mean, that's the proper way to do it because you know, OpenBox has these things called dynamic menus where it's just like you can get OpenBox to like show your current playing song and. You can have like yeah. a scrolling effect to it and everything too. It's actually <laughs> really cool. <laughs> All right, Josh, what about you? What is your favorite one right now? Uh, my favorite window manager has is the same window manager I've been using for over six years now. DWM. Damn it! What the frack, man? I was a hundred percent ready to hear Emacs WM or like whatever. <laughs> okay, so. I, I do use Emacs on a daily basis. It is my text editor of choice for like what I do. Because but most of my work in Emacs is really just in org mode buffers. Uh, sometimes 
I don't even really use splits that often. Sometimes I'll use a split, sometimes I won't. Uh, and, uh, you know, at one point I did have, like, a deep... I did set up, like, my laptop be, to be, like, a dedicated Emacs machine, where it's, like, I was using the EXWM and, and all that stuff, and it's, like, it worked. But realistically, the, the biggest drawback to, like, EXWM is that Emacs is single-threaded. That includes all the plugins for Emacs. is on that one thread. So if Emacs crashes, your whole X server crashes. How has that not been fixed? Uh, they are working on fixing it. It's just that uh, it's been single-threaded for over 40 years now. <laughs> There's was, a lot I, of crap I, I honestly, to go through. I genuinely thought that you were going to say the reason that you know, like it, it's not working for you or it's not what you would choose. It's just because you killed like the last Emacs buffer one time and then it killed everything on accident. <laughs> no, no, no. Like it, it, the last Emacs buffer is the window manager itself with which uh, it'll just ask you. It's just like, Hey, do you want to, do you want to quit Emacs? <laughs> and oh, then okay. it's just like, at that point you just signed up for it. There is no accident yeah. there, but uh, realistic, realistically, like uh, I am going through a journey where it's just like, by, by, at some point, like, I set, like, an arbitrary date to, like, the end of this year, but you see how quickly I come out with content, where it's just, like, almost never. But I am going to be going through every single window manager I can possibly find. Uh, I call it the window manager project. Uh, it, it's not a weekly video series or anything. It's just, like, whenever I find a window manager, and she's like, hey, I just feel like making a video about this. Yeah. But uh, the big thing for me is that the, the main reason why I actually don't mind Sway or i3 I can make them work for me, but at the same time, I use a triple monitor system, and uh, you know it's great that like I can send a window to a specific workspace on a on a specific screen. That kind of falls apart when you introduce a third plus monitor. It re- it really does. I know you've said this to me before, but I would guess that you're just not doing it right. Uh, so here's the thing, it's just like, it is possible to, uh, bind, like, the right alt key to be specific to, like, the right monitor, and then the left alt key to be the specific, specifically the left monitor, when the super is just, like, the middle monitor. But the big thing is, uh, that, then at that point you have to dig through obscure X input, uh, documentation that does not work with Sway. So I3 allows you to set monitor variables. So you would set, uh, display 1, display 2, display 3, and the configuration. I3 does. I3 does. But the problem is how X works. Okay. I, I don't know what your problem with X is. It's Everyone uses it. You should just give it a try. It's been around for a long time. It's very stable. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. You, you kids in these this whaling nonsense, just X, X, X was good enough for our forefathers. It should be good enough for you. Honestly, uh, honestly unless, you're just use, use X. unless you're using OpenBSD, uh, Wayland is your inevitable future. Because uh, nobody is really maintaining X outside of one guy who tells you not to use it. Nothing has been, nothing more sad has ever been said than what you just did. I'm just gonna put that out there because right now it, Wayland is not ready. But anyways, the, well, no, Wayland is not ready. Wayland won't be ready until like they fix several of the glaring issues that a lot of people have with like you know global keybinds. But there is there is work upstream in, in uh, the in the GTK portal that will get. That will get implemented into the Wayland protocol itself. You, you just broke my heart when you said GTK portal. I mean, well, yeah, I probably did. The GTK uh, that portal. said, that said, the WLR roots uh, portal is so much better than GTK portal. It's actually kind of kind of not funny because you know uh, when like you're doing a screen capture in like uh, OBS Studio, the uh, 
the the GTK <laughs> portal has you just select from like a drop down menu, whereas if you're using something like Sway, you just move your mouse to the monitor and click it. All right, we got we got to move on. We got to get done with this. So all right, so moving on to the last section of the show. We call this thing very creatively thingies of the week. Now, we could have called this anything, apps of the week, picks of the week, whatever, but those would have been copyrighted elsewhere. So, we called them thingies of the week, and this week, we have thingies of the week. Tyler, uh, you go first. What is your thingy of the week? You used that last week. You can't do it again. <laughs> I can't. Fucking buy one. Buy a Steam Deck, okay? Buy it. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome, Okay. Buy the Steam Matt, Deck. I specifically request that you go before me. Mike, so everybody can can hate the podcast at the end? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. Uh, Tyler, was that actually your thingy or are you just trolling? Yeah, no, no, I'm no, I'm dead serious. The Steam Deck is my thing of thingy thingy of the week. Alright, but you I'm put I'm putting it. a cap on it. You can't use it next week. You have to come up with okay. something. Okay. If there are more things in the world than just the stream, de- the Steam Deck, okay? Um, first of all, they need. God, I, how many times have we called that damn thing as the Stream Deck? I know, like God. I honestly think. I honestly there. think that they use the word deck just so we can make a uh, use deck in like the the product name, just so that we could have that discussion <laughs> and make that mistake. <laughs> I I am so surprised that Elgato hasn't sued them. I'm just, I'm just oh. astonished. You, you know, Honestly, you know for a fact that there was a boardroom meeting where they brought it up to lawyers. They're like, "Do you think, you think we should pursue this?" Like, there was definitely a conversation at least about it. It's it, so, so close. close, right? It's just, it, it's astonishing. Anyway, so anyways, my thing is so uh, I've been working on for like two weeks now a sync thing video, and it's one of those videos that's just fighting me 100 percent of the way, trying to get go and be coherent it's been a pain but one of the things i've actually discovered is a new tool or it's not a new tool it's been around for a while but it's called sync thing gtk and uh normally i'm the guy who says hey do everything in the terminal this was the way god intended it right uh with sync thing you can do everything in the terminal and it works just fine and you use the web portal or whatever and it works it works really well um but if you want a native gui for sync thing that is like an actual application sync thing gtk is a fantastic tool it allows you to do everything that the web portal allows you to do in a gtk form factor like an actual native client and it's really nice it's available as a flat pack so you can get it pretty much pretty anywhere cool. it is uh, the flat pack ships with sync thing inside inside the flat pack container too so yep. as long as that's running you're running sync thing yep the thing about it is that it just it, it works fantastically and if you were going to use sync thing just download SyncThing GTK, hit Start Daemon and set it up. It'll work automatically for you. The, I've all, the only issue I've come across with in a couple of different my computers is that the web portal just won't load. Because um, you can still get to the web portal of SyncThing if you are using the GTK version. Because uh, it, it just installs SyncThing, right? Um, for whatever reason, the ports on a couple of mine are wonky it has something to do with ufw i'm not quite sure yeah i'm still troubleshooting that um but anyways you can, um you can literally run ufw allow sync thing well i do that but it doesn't work on fedora um because it says sync thing not found oh because uh, fedora is using firewall command at the same time so you're yeah. actually running two different firewalls um well i'm not because i didn't install the other one so i um, know uh, the other one comes pre-configured out of the box on gnome on on all versions of fedora i server not, included not on my system. I searched for it, man. Um, anyways, it doesn't matter. 
The point yeah. is, is that that's the only problem I've had. Sync thing GTK, GTK is actually really good. Uh, so yours, uh, your pick of the week, your thingy of the week is um, uh, my thing. Gonna get you banned. St- like you're banned, uh, now, right? It it will get me banned. However, however, it is in a direct response to a comment that Matt made last week, where he said that if you're using, if you have a McAfee subscription, you should be banned. That said, guess who has a McAfee subscription that I have at one point paid for? Matt, this is this is this is when you put like you click the button, kick, <laughs> <laughs> and he just disappears. But anyways, guys, uh, McAfee is available for Linux. Just to let you know, it 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 starts, it runs, it is command line only. It is not a GUI tool. Unless you just absolutely ca- it, thank God, it is thank, more cancerous on Linux God. than it is on Windows. How is Good. that even possible? Good. I was I was sitting over here and I was just wondering. I was like. Can McAfee run on Linux? Because okay. I gotta be honest, I need it. Like this Linux, it's just super unsecure. Like e- I'm constantly getting viruses, blue okay. screens. It's, oh, Email it's at the linuxcast.org. I want to know everyone who uses McAfee on Linux. I, e- email me <laughs> at that email address. I want to know: okay. Do you use McAfee on Linux? You don't have to, Josh. We already know about you. You're banned. Um, <laughs> never, you're never going to be seen on this podcast again. You're, you're just you're, you are dead to me. I don't well, care. Well, to be to be fair, I had to I had to enable an antivirus, and Claim AV was not was not an option. It had to be a paid subscription, like legally mm-hmm. had to be a paid subscription. And the choice was McAfee or Norton. Well, damn. Well, yeah, because yeah, you can't you, you you can't use Microsoft Defender then because it's free. Well, no, because uh, it's a Red Hat server, so I can't install Microsoft Defender. Uh, you should. Damn, so not like, only am I only two not options. only not only am I using an antivirus, I also have to have SE Linux enabled, which defeats the purpose of an antivirus. Um, okay. Hmm. Yeah. Perfect. Anyway, anyways, email me with your reasons for needing and using McAfee because I want to hear from all of you. We'll read them next week on the show because I'm going to. I'm going to troll the crap out of everyone who emails me. Just to let you know. Uh, Matt's going. Matt's going to give you all a dollar for everybody that sends me an email. That, that is not. That, they that have is an subscription. not that way true. They can pay for their subscriptions. No, no, no. <laughs> if you're using McAfee, you have to give me a dollar. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, hold on. We do have to go ahead and specify this. If you are actually using McAfee on Linux and you email, you have to send proof. Like, you have to send there proof, has and to it has proof. to be longer than 30 days of use. You 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 cannot. Well, no, I will go ahead and say. So are you just saying that right now somebody could just go sign up for a McAfee subscription, yes. install it, and then send as it, long send, as it's a paid okay. for license. Because you if know they you do are, offer they do offer a free trial that shows that it is a paid subscription. I don't. Uh, okay. It, well, no. Like, hold you on. Pro- your proof your proof for buying it has to be a purchase receipt. Okay. I want someone to email me who has compiled. Gen 2 from scratch and then compiled McAfee and put it on there. Uh, it's not available. It won't, it won't yeah. even install itself. I, I figured they it, probably it only works on Red Hat, OpenSUSE, and Ubuntu. And it's a straight up binary, isn't it? It is a straight up binary. What is wrong with the world these days? Like, seriously, go watch some TikTok. You'd be so better look, off. Like, if you run McAfee on Linux and you've paid for it and you have your receipt that, like, again, block out any specifics like that relate to you oh my god another bot god damn bots um, are back 
Um, but as long as you have the receipt and everything for it, then take it, screenshot it, and send it to us. And um, Matt, I I need you to be honest about how many real ones you get. I want I will be honest with you, and we'll like I said, we'll re- I want to know reasons. I don't want to just see that you've done it. I want to know reasons why, not just because I installed it because you guys said something. I want to know why you use it. Because maybe, well, maybe and, there's hold, a, like, hold, on, like, hold on. You have to include the people that buy it just just for that. If you're honest and you say, I it, to me it was it was worth it to troll. If you're willing to spend like sixty to one hundred twenty dollars on a McAfee yearly subscription, just to make a, a to make a point, like that's fine, that's fine. Yeah. But you have to be honest. Tell us your reason for buying. I want to know. Like seriously, and we'll talk about the real ones. Who email at onyxcast.org. We, we want to know. We like we, we we will read your email out online on the podcast live next week, um, and be prepared because I will make fun of you. But uh, as long if you have an actual like, Josh, you have a legitimate reason. Like you did that for somebody that needed that. I did it for a bank. Like you didn't. If there, if that's the reason why, I'm sorry for you, but that's okay. If you're putting this on your personal machine. I need to know why. Like I, yeah. I like you have to have an actual well, reason. Like why? Like why do you, why did you do that? Anyways, well, Matt, yes. you know uh, I can I can uh, SSH into your computer and install it right now if you want me to. No, but, but see that's the main <laughs> thing. Why would he want you to? No. Like, First that, of all, that said, if you do install it on your system, just remember you cannot remove it using your package manager, and you cannot remove it with RF. You actually have to format the hard drive. What? <laughs> yep. Why? No, 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 guys, guys. This discussion is over. I'm done. This is seriously that, that was the end of You're it. You're welcome. For me. <laughs> uh, anyways, if you want to get in contact with us, the linuxcast.org/contact all the information and stuff like that. Josh's link in the video description. I'm sure he'll be a frequent guest in the future because we had a fair, a fantastic job, a fantastic job, a fantastic time <laughs> with you here, Josh. So, Josh, thank you for joining us. Yes. Uh, if you want to get, uh, if you want to support the podcast, you can do so at Patreon.com/slash/LinuxCast. Just like all these fine people, thanks to everybody who supports me on Patreon and YouTube. I truly do appreciate every every single one of you guys. Without the pot, without you, the channel just would not be anywhere near where it is right now. Also, there's a, a gigantic space there between the directors and the executive producers. I just noticed that. I might have to fix that later on. Jesus, ADD is a serious serious problems my friend i'm gonna go get i'm gonna go take care of that and um we'll see you next week have a good one yeah bye